I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Good morning on this rainy day, and in, no, in, it's not November yet, in October, but this will be released in November. Welcome to Tehillah Talks, and to Bernie, Julian, and Helena, as we have a conversation about why do we have two creation stories, and what sets the two of them apart, and to give us, us a little background. The first creation story is the one where the world was created in six days, and on the seventh day, God rested and named that day Shabbat. The second story is commonly known as the Adam and Eve story. And uh, the details are quite different. And the role of men and women are also different in the two stories. So my opening question is, A, do you remember these two stories? Because uh, <laughs> it's been a while. Mm-hmm. And what do you remember about them? So, you know, before we get into me fixing whatever or, or adjusting what, what your memory uh, tells you, but what do you remember of that first creation story? Can I synopsize the Adam and Eve one and somebody can explain the other? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So basically, God created this, like, nice garden <laughs> and he introduced, like, the first man, Adam, and who lived in the garden. And then at one at some point... I'm going to stop you right there. So... <laughs> Yes, garden, pretty place, but also very specific rivers running through the garden. What river? Mesopotamian rivers. So that we How have... How big is this garden? I, I, well, I always assumed it was like a botanical garden size, not a... I always... Well, like yeah, I think our imagination, because it's... We never get acreage. <laughs> So we don't know how big it really was, but what we get is, is a garden, and it was in the east... And, and the man was formed out of dust. Mm-hmm. And then at one point... But it says that in the garden, it's divided... Uh, there's a river that issues from Eden and divides and becomes four branches. Pishon, uh, Havilah, Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. So we don't necessarily know the first two, but we certainly know about the Tigris and the Euphrates because they're real. That seems weird that they would include two historical rivers and two, like, random Wait, well, we may not... They may be historical, but they're no longer familiar for us. Or it's like, that was the name back then, you know? Right, right. So when we think one may have been in Ethiopia... Yeah. Oh, cool. All right. But still, it's... Wait, wait, wait. It's got a spot. Wait, I have a question about that. How would the people... Or... How would they have known of Ethiopia back then as, well, like, Semites? Like, as people in the Levant region, you know? Were they really... Trade. Okay. Trade. And we'll get into it. So we can go back to your synopsis, and then okay, I'll, all right. I'll, I'll so, give it some so historical basically, basically, grounding. Um, a woman is created out of Adam's ribcage, and from there, things kind of turn south. There's a snake for some reason. And serpent. A serpent. Has legs. Okay, wait, wait. Still let me legs. let me say there's a there's a there's one like disclaimer for this whole garden situation. There's a tree that you cannot eat the fruit from. Right. And God is pretty adamant about that one. So the serpent kind of tempts Eve into into eating the fruit and I feel like she eats the fruit and then tries to tell Adam to eat it as well. 
And that's like the original sin that Christians are always on about. So that was it. And it's and it, and in different uh, parts of Christianity, some it depends where you are, whether or not that is considered original sin or not. So I just I don't I want to do a, put a disclaimer yeah, I have no and not clue. say that this is I, I all no Christianity. Clue. And it certainly isn't seen as original sin within Judaism. Yeah. I, I was... It's interesting. I always thought of that story as more of a Christian story than a Jewish story. Because in, in, like, media and in movies and stuff, you see Christian people talking about it more than Jewish people. And so th- that's what I think is so interesting. It is. It has taken on uh, larger contours in, in Christianity than in Judaism. Yeah. And also has led to the characterization of women as temptresses. Yeah. Yes. Well, can I just get a definition for original sin in the Jewish context? Because there like, is I, no such thing. So wait, wait, wait. There's, there's no, no such Jewish. There's no the, the like the in Judaism that's never used as a term. No. Okay, I thought it's I a thought purely said, it's a purely Christian term. Original sin. All right. Yeah. So so in in the Torah's description of this creation story there's no like that's not cons- that's definitely an infraction they messed up yeah they messed up big time okay all of a sudden they re- recognized that they were naked once they they ate from the tree and then they were thrown out of the and they, but yeah. but in a way in a way it still is about an original transgression you well here's I mean? the question is that's a big pivotal turning point like, in that garden this before Eve is even created out of the rib, uh, he gets to name all the animals. He's, you know, there's enough food to eat. There are no obstacles of any kind to the life that they're living. It is very much like the innocence of childhood. When you're a baby, if you're born into a healthy family, you will have food to eat. You will have a place to sleep. You right, yeah. and it's only when all of a sudden, when an awareness of individuality happens for an infant, that things go begin to go wrong, and the the going wrong could be just bumping your head. I mean, it's not. Right. This is this is kind of off topic, but I think this is really interesting. My mom was talking to me about this. She's like a therapist, so yeah. <laughs> so she like they do a lot of study of like how the psyche develops as a child. And a lot of it is, like, the infant doesn't really know that they exist as an individual, but they see, like, the, like they're interacting with their parents, and they see their parents, like, acknowledging them. So, like, the way that your psyche originally develops is through your interactions with those and, and that's And this, is, this story is actually very true to that, because the only ones that Adam and Eve interact with is God. Yeah. Until this serpent... Rears his little head, yeah. and and at the end of the story, when they are thrown out of the garden, the serpent loses its legs and is condemned to crawl on its belly. <laughs> I didn't know that. And that's so. Sort of, isn't it just like a? Wouldn't it be a lizard then? <laughs> like, what could it be like a lizard, right? And we don't know what the fruit is, and we talk about apples, and we have no idea what the fruit is. And Adam is told that he will have to labor for whatever he gets. And Eve is told that childbirth will be painful. Oh, God. Right? That's what they're told. And then they're cast out of the garden, mm-hmm. and an angel with a flaming sword guards the entrance, and it's and then it goes, poof, disappears, right? Kind of. That's the... Okay. So what's the six-day story? Six-day story. The world was tohu vavohu, which is a phrase in Hebrew that is only mentioned once. It was chaos. It was... 
in disarray. There was no order in the beginning of the creating. It's, it's and, really interesting because scientists use that term now, like chaos and chaotic, for the beginning of the universe. I know, it's why I love this story. Yeah, so it's much. really yeah, And also, like, it's the universe also um, tends towards chaos over order. Like that's what that's something that came up in my biology yeah. class actually. But continue. Right, and it, it and it says it was unformed and there was darkness over the deep. Right? And then and God says, Let there be light, and there was light, and there was a separation between light and dark, and it was evening and it was morning a first day. Second day of creation, the waters above and the waters below are separated. Third day of creation, all of a sudden things start to grow. Fourth day of creation, we have the luminaries. So interestingly enough, it's not on the first day. We have the sun, the moon, the stars, fourth day. Fifth day, things in the sea, creepy crawly things, and flying creatures are created. Sixth day, we have basically mammals, other than the whales who've already been established. So he's put in all the dietary groups. <laughs> well, it's not dietary groups. I mean, it's, it's yeah. everything. I mean, it's it's lions and tigers and bears yeah. and cows <laughs> and goats and, right, and sheep. And then, it, then it, just to give you the text, because I wanted to get it exactly right, he said, and God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Obviously, this is the with male language, but it's it's um, God bless them. God said to them, be fertile and increase, fill the earth and master it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the things that creep on the earth. So it's all yours to take care of. And they are created at the same moment. No Adam's rib, no. So this, so they're two very different tellings. Yes. This is just like, so when you read the Torah, I guess this is kind of a dumb question to ask, but when you read the Torah, do you read first the six-day creation? Yes, that comes and first. Then, and then this garden is taking place within that. Like, it takes place first. right after. Yeah, okay. it goes, it goes so from, that, wait, it so, goes from six days creation, seventh day Shabbat. Then we have this whole thing of this garden and. Yeah, wait, so isn't that kind of contradictory? Like how, men and women have been created at yeah, the same time. Yes, for them. yes, okay. yes. We have two that's, that's totally different stories. Mm-hmm. And then and then we have Cain and Abel at the very end. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. So is there a reason why there's, I feel like there's a strict binary to all of these. There's like darkness, light, the creatures in the sea, the creatures in the air, man, women. Is there a reason? I think the binary is just, is just um, I don't think there's a reason for that, but it, everything begins in the evening. It was evening, it was morning of first day. It, it also kind of contrasts what you said before about the, the chaos. Like, everything was chaos, everything was one thing, and then there are pairs, there's yeah. categories. This and Right, right, this yes. Is and that, it's, I wouldn't say binary, but categories okay. is a better way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And the water above and the water below. I mean, today we have the water yeah. above coming down on us, and it's a, it will affect the water <laughs> below, right? But imagine a time when it when there was no separation. Can I, like, the first thing that kind of comes to my mind when I think about the contrast between these two stories is that the six-day creation, or, you know, and seventh-day Shabbat story kind of leaves a universe open to interpretation or open to possibilities. You know what I mean? Like, even if you acknowledge that creation story, you can draw whatever... You can kind of create your own perception around that. You know what I mean? About the nature of humanity, et cetera, et cetera. 
But the Adam and Eve story or the Garden of Eden story is more is a much more restrictive narrative. You know what I mean? It's not only restrictive about the nature of humanity, but also like, yeah, about uh, like once you once that event has taken place in like a moral universe, there's not a lot of room for like contrasting events. Right. So the the first story is is open ended, but human beings are given responsibility at the end of the story, even though there isn't a dialogue between God and humans, which is, I also think is kind of interesting, you know, and, and we get our Shabbat. I mean, the prayers, Shabbat prayers are all about that first story. We don't use in our liturgy, the second story at all. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful narrative. And I think it's, it's kind of a bummer. Honestly. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a bad. Note. Well, no, I love it as a teaching tool. I've used it uh, with young children when teaching this of uh, putting uh, treats in the middle of the classroom oh. <laughs> and having somebody, some one person stay who's a little bit older than the kids involved and saying, leaving and just saying, now I put this here, but don't touch it. I don't want anybody to touch it. And don't, and definitely don't take any. They, they did that in Naleb, but like all the adults left the room and they just let us fight over it. And I was like, this is like... No, no, you have to, you have yeah. to leave somebody to be so that it doesn't get out well, of hand. Well, you also want to observe what, you know. And, and what usually, nine times out of ten, even if the, none of the children eat the candy, somebody is going to go and touch it with their finger. At the very least. So what does that say? It says that the Garden of Eden stories is set up. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, serpent, right, duh. yeah. Right. I was I mean, thinking if that you too. if you put something in the middle of everything and say, "Don't you dare touch it! Don't mm-hmm. you dare eat from it!" Wait. So is this serpent the be- is this serpent the like origin of the Christian like idea of the devil or you know Satan? So, yeah. but but like the serpent is in there, and God created that whole. Oh world, yes, so. yes, yes. Seems also shady. Yes, yes. It, it's, it's like good. I, I think what it sets up is that that as human beings, we can we are in charge of our own actions. That's mm. what it does set up. And wait, why do you say that? Because aren't you saying that? They because well, but, well, even though it's a setup, once the light goes on and they realize they're naked and they sort of go and they want to hide from God and God, yeah. you know, they, they can't, there's a realization of agency that they didn't really have before. His only, a, Adam's only agency prior to Eve's creation was to name the animals. And that really didn't satisfy him very much. The, the two stories, they kind of like define or set up, like you said, set up different things. The first one with the seven days, that's setting up, like, the natural world, how things work, like, how it seemed to the people that were writing this down, right? And the second one is setting up more about, like, human nature, very more specific about humans and, like, why humans are the way that they are. And it's also, um, um, I remember the first time I taught this to a group of adults, and I was really surprised uh, when I called it a myth, and I got blowback, and it's like, how can you, as a rabbinical student, call this a myth? It's like, so wait, what's because it's a myth. Yeah, so wait, wait. <laughs> because so it's because they thought. Elaborate it, on that. That seems significant. Uh, they they thought that you know I should I should encase it in, and this was a, a reform mm-hmm. setting, so it wasn't one that believed the whole Torah was given at Mount Sinai, right? This was not who I was teaching. And I said, this is the beginning. The 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 second story is really also about the beginning of agriculture. It, because it it's set in a place 
in a very particular place. That's why I mentioned the rivers. So this is the beginning of organized agriculture. And from that, you have to create. So here we are. We're planting fields. We have these rivers that flood and that recede. How... How can we come up with a story of how we got here? So you backtrack from your reality to create a story Mm -hmm. to get you to that place. And we think now, we do think that between the Tigris and Euphrates was one of the first places where humans developed agriculture. Right, exactly. it makes sense. It all comes together. It all comes together. Yeah. And and so there's that layer on that story. Mm -hmm. But the other story... I, I like to think of it as, you know, the creation of the world from outer space. Well, I was actually going to say something about that, because in the first, in the seven-day story, like, Earth is created first, and then the planets, which I think is, like, it kind of goes, like, humans didn't really realize that the Earth wasn't the center of the universe until yeah. recently. So. And, then, and it has in it also the conception of of the way they understood the Earth, that it had a dome. Yeah. Uh and that actually lasted through medieval times. So if you see these drawings of the Earth, it has this second dome effect. Yeah. It was even before so, they realized so wait, it was round. Didn't you say, um, I'm sorry, I forgot what you said before we like... Wait, you were saying that um, it was creation from outer space, right? Well, but it's it out of ex nihilo, out of nothing, okay. out of chaos, out of darkness, out of... and. The image I always love to use is the one of of uh, the planetarium. Mm-hmm. You know that you've you've all been to the planet that 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 walk, right? You take down, and then at, at the very end, how many billions of years does it take for the first human to appear? So these to me, these six days are, are metaphors <laughs> for how long it took for the world to be created. Not that the people who wrote this understood that but for me yes i think for me it helps me make sense of this story right otherwise i'd have a much harder time with it but i love the fact that the sea creatures and the flying things and the creepy crawlies came first because darwinian from a darwinian perspective they did come first yeah totally well i was gonna say that this is kind of like a weird perspective i think but the second one is almost like a horror story situation <laughs> you know what i mean like you're trapped in this cage of the guard like it's it's it seems really good you know what i mean and then you kind of have this like captor who's like all powerful and and controlling and the outer limits yeah but and but also he's put this antagonist that's that's gonna bring bad things on you also in the cage with you so for me it seems almost like a more like it could be a horror movie if you spin it that way and the first one is much more like, you know, abstract and up in the air. So I, but the other question I have is, is so as, as a woman, I have less difficulty with that first story because man and woman are created at the same time. And there's one reading of the Hebrew that says that not only at the same moment, these two separate entities, but that uh, man and woman appeared as a co- co-joined figure, back-to-back, male and female, and then they were separated, right? So that you have so, sort of, it, it has a different vision. Yeah, it's almost like an embryo, sort of. That's kind of what it comes to. Yes. And in the second story, you have, uh, he needs a helpmate. He's yeah. bored, right? He, He's bored. Yeah. He needs like somebody to play with. Yeah. But I've, <laughs> I've heard an interpretation that said that 
God created Adam and in the second story, God created Adam and then and then from Adam created Eve and that Eve was then the perfect version of a human that Adam was like the first try and then it was Eve. So Eve is like the completed (laughs) version. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. Yeah. Because like my I guess my question is like I don't. Like, how is Adam allowed... To, how is Adam bored in the Garden of Eden? I guess it's sort of, like, my... Like, why does he need woman? Like, why does he need Eve? It's sort of weird, because, like... Like, on one hand, the Garden is supposed to be, like, paradise, like, utopia. Like, it's sad when it disappears into thin air. But on the other hand, it's, like, not a lot of fun, you know? So, would you say that managing to overcome an obstacle is a good feeling? When you yeah. have an obstacle of any kind, yeah. Yeah. right? And the absence of doing it. And the absence of obstacles, if everything is taken care of for you. Of, for yeah. you. I mean, this is right today we have the whole thing. It used to be helicopter parents. Now I don't even know what the latest <laughs> term is. But hearing mm-hmm. stories of parents writing their children's college essays for or them. paying somebody a fortune to write it for them. Yeah. Or, right, but... What happens when you're not allowed to fail and get up again? You don't know how to, like... How to get up again. Yeah. When you, you don't know how you don't know how to even, like, begin to confront an obstacle. Like, if you haven't experienced failure. You know what I mean? And the truth is, I think it's, it's not something that, that the current generation of parents... Because I think my generation of parents also did a lot of, um, you know, protecting our children... And so our children protect their children, and and they don't fail, they don't fall. And I, I it's it, to me that's an interesting process because you really do learn watching it in action with with our granddaughter that she knows if she gets her fingers caught in a drawer, yeah, this hurt. is it's gonna hurt. And now when she plays with the drawer, she's much more careful <laughs> playing with that drawer. Now it's a very mm-hmm. simple mm-hmm. kind of lesson, but. Failure's really important. Yeah. This is more on a joke, you know, but, like, I'd like to see a third story where Adam and Eva, like, apply to college. <laughs> they, like, have to write, like, their college essays about, like, yes, and then this woman came out of my, you know, rib cage. I think that would that would be very good, somebody. Oh, there, there are many midrashim, and there's also, there's a midrash that says... The first woman was a woman named Lilith, and she was equal to Adam in every way. <laughs> and she got expunged from the story because she was too independent. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, in the original or like in the Midrash? That's, the Midrash says this. And this Midrash of Lilith, you'll find it in Christianity as well, of this temptress wow. woman. But, she, I mean, it's taking the Eve so, thing and making it even So it's bigger. Adam, Lilith, and Eve. <laughs> right, right. It's, That's very interesting. But it, but it also, this is also the beginning of the, the mythos around women in terms of can a woman be strong, independent, or is she the helpmate and the supporter of men, right? And the fact that she's told she's going to suffer through childbirth. Yeah, I thought that was kind of like a added blow. You know, that wasn't really necessary. <laughs> You're getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But the other thing it doesn't say, because I think this is a male voice. So a male voice sees a woman crying during childbirth. What he doesn't know is that the pain of childbirth... It's quickly forgotten because you're so busy with an infant that you don't remember how much it hurt. You'll talk to most, um, unless they had a truly traumatic birthing experience, most women will not remember 
the actual pain of childbirth, natural childbirth. That's lucky. <laughs> I have a question. Who yeah. wrote the Midrash? Oh, different. Over time, the Midrashim, it, they, they came over the centuries. They started probably 9th century. But would you say that it was... The men. The, the yeah, men. The men. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the men. So they I was created ask. the stories in their perceptions. Oh, like, yeah, it's, so. a male, it's, a male, it's a male gaze. Yeah. It's absolutely so, a male gaze. I was going to ask about this, like, this Midrash of Lilith. Like, where does it originally, like, what, when does it I originate think, from? Th- and th- why would a male rabbi write that Midrash? Oh, because... Like, it, how it, did, and also, how did... How did Judaism perceive these two stories? Like, how did ancient Jews feel about well, there being it, two? I'm, I'm going to say that, um, I don't know how ancient Jews, but the fact that our liturgy doesn't reference the second story and that it references the first story over and over and over again, that our holidays all begin, they begin in the evening. It was evening, right? Every holiday begins at night as every day in the description is night and then the seventh day God rested so and made it holy so that that's embedded yeah. that's so maybe they, mo- they wrote that midrash to kind of reckon with the fact that the liturgy had disregarded this no 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 story. no I think the, the the midrash has much more to do with the surrounding cultures okay which had women playing stronger figures yeah, than well, we have it's within- a matriarchal you know, lineage. Right, right. So I think it has more to do with that. I think it has to do with, yeah, with Asart, with with female female uh, gods that were of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading the Odyssey right now in English, and it's interesting. There's a lot about the, the female gods and the, uh, like, Calypso holding Odysseus there and always, you know, having her way. It's, it's interesting, the parallels and how... Um, in this Jewish midrash, the powerful woman is just immediately, you know, swept to the side. Swept to the side. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting about this is that God, the Hebrew for God's name, is different in the two stories. So that you know that they're coming from two different strands. Yeah. Can I give my theory? Like, Yes. My, my theory is that the second one, they included as like a nod to Zoriastrianism. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, Zoriastrian, just to clarify, like, it's this ancient religion, basically, that a lot of Christianity and Judaism has been influenced by, where, like, there's a good God and a bad God, lots of internal... I'm honestly not the best, like, I don't know the most about it. It's still practiced today, but it it came even before Judaism, is my understanding. It was, it was like the first monotheist. Yeah, yeah. It was, but, but there's still these dark, two gods... It's light and darkness. Yeah, there's this conflict between light and darkness that, like... You know, more than the serpent and the god. Like, yeah, it just seems to me like it's probably something that was adopted and then kind of forgotten about, you know? Maybe, maybe not. I I don't get it that way. I don't see that because I came later. I always think of that as later. Um, Zoriastrianism? Or- yeah, no. that influencing this. Oh, well, influencing Judaism. Yes, later. Because it was a different part of the world. Is well, but, but this takes place in the Tigris and Euphrates. Yeah, but this is Zoroastrianism was like Iraq too. Yeah, it was that. It was the. It's like the Mesopotamian region. But the thing that's interesting to me is that it's Bereshit bara Elohim, and it's the plural name of God. In which story? In the first one. In the first one. Oh, okay. And in the second that's story, right. it's Adonai Elohim, and so there is a singularity and a, and a multiplicity. And if 
what was going on in the same place was um, one way we understand our Psalms and we understand uh, Judaism is that Judaism stamps out the multiplicity of gods in the region. And it begins with this name that includes the multiplicity. uh, And then goes into the singularity in that other one, which is a more personal story. Yeah. Well, this is something that comes to mind, but like maybe a God creating the universe is like, can be perceived as plural and like more all encompassing, but then a God that's like, you know, has the humans in the garden of Eden, like doing little activities so that, is so, more singular. Right. So what, what you're also getting in this from a philosophical stance is a transcendent, a big divinity yeah. that is really beyond our comprehension that's mm-hmm. doing all this yeah. creating, right? And then there's a, an imminent divinity that's right there, Johnny on the <laughs> name spot. That name yeah. that animal. Yeah, I'm right here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm right in front of you. Yeah. And I think that, and it's interesting, I think human beings, different human beings, need to engage, if they're going to engage with a sense of divinity at all, need different ways in. And right from the beginning, which I think is fascinating, we're given two different paths to relate to divinity. Uh, because this God basically mm-hmm. says, you know, what, what are you ashamed of? Well, that makes me think of the Trinity, you know, like, you know, Christ, the mother, like, and the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like maybe Christians explore the Adam and Eve path a little bit more. And uh, and they realize that that more singular God, like, isn't as comprehensive when it comes to, you know, what but, I mean? well, it's, that, that it's, singular God is probably better for. That and Eve stories, but not the more complicated theology. Do you know what I mean no, by that? No, I think you're you're mushing this around a little bit. Okay. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna because I think the second story is one for an, a personal God. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 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 going in for I'm going to take a big test. I'm going to pray to my God, who's going to hear my prayers, and that's that imminent divinity that's right there in front of you. No. And there's no intercession. So because yeah. when you're dealing with Christianity, which we'll talk about another time, and, and Islam, we'll talk about the need to have uh, an intermediate level. Yeah. level. Yeah, that seems, I don't know, like, this seems very strange. <laughs> this seems like a really weird way to go about creating a religion. Like, if it was me, well, I would I, be but like, I don't know that know, this we're is, sticking with this. Like, I don't know that... Th- you're thinking about this as being very organized. Yeah, and it's not. It's definitely much more. Important. And religious traditions are disorganized. So wait, and you- and the other piece of it is what we have in Judaism is something that is agriculturally based. We always have to go back to the, the <laughs> origins. This was all about agriculture and oh, harvesting. The holidays, Sukkot, which we just finished celebrating, was called Hachag, the holiday. It was a, you made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You bought your things that you harvested. It, you have this weird ritual with a palm yeah. and, and, a, and a citron and you shake it and you turn it upside down. I mean, it's very elemental and this is about agriculture. We want a good harvest. We want to have enough to keep us for the winter. The, the basics are are very much... The first story seems very... It seems bigger than agriculture. To it me, is. You know I mean? It is. And I think that's what makes it so important. And that's why Shabbat is yeah, based but why on... Yeah, but why would an... I guess in agricultural society, like, reckoning with their own creation... Like, this... The 
the idea of God creating the universe out of like nothing is it's a big and a big and concept. having a day of rest, which some okay, that, say, yeah, that seems... and some say this is the big idea that came out of that first story, and our need. I would say now is even greater than ever. I mean, do we stop? Do you ever turn off your you ever turn off your phone? My my friend just came in from Wisconsin. She left her phone at home. So for two days she's a doctor. She had no phone. It made her crazy. Two days, no phone. You would think it would be a good relief. She said she was the only person on the subway not looking at their phone. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't ever turn off my brain. Like I'm always like constantly. But do you, do you stop? Do you do something different any day of the week? Uh, burning me personally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely. I mean, my weekends are very different from school. Obviously, at school, I was. I make a point of not always being on my phone. I see people, you know, they're having a conversation and they're both scrolling through their Instagram feeds at the while they're talking. Or as soon as you come out of class, you're open to your social media and like walking to your locker, scrolling through whatever. So I make a point to not do that and just leave it in my pocket or even in my backpack sometimes. Uh, so I guess I, I try to stay... I keep my brain shut off a little bit most of the time instead of totally off at one point. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a different approach. Helena, what do you do? Um, well, I don't think that I've... I think that most days are similar and that maybe I don't take a full break kind of like Bernie does or um or even little ones like keeping my phone in my bag or something but I think that just a specific example like whenever I'm on public transportation I literally just look out the window the whole time and just taking everything around me rather than you know working on one specific thing looking at my phone so I think that's kind of my break and and you're you're constantly on the go, right? Yeah, I would say like I'm. I definitely always am looking at my phone. If I'm not looking at my phone, I'm talking or something. Like, I think for me, like, even though my weekends are different, I'm still doing a lot of like homework slash work related stuff. So there's never really a moment when like I'm not thinking about something. Like I'll wake up in the morning and be like. The physics, like you know. So I was I was talking to somebody, and I think that for you all, this is harder than for those who came before you. This is my theory, because for you guys to stop is much harder than for me to stop. You know, I can curl up with a book. But we we also have less free time than any other generation. Like, people talk about, like, oh, millennials are lazy, da-da-da-da. But, like, we actually have been, are being, like, you know, kids like us a few decades ago would have had much more time to do that. So, and But there's also, what you have is more information coming at you all the time. And uh, your neurons are firing. And how do you how do you I, make sense of all I of that? I honestly kind of disagree with that that perception because I think even because I think it's kind of it's different, but it's not too different. You know what I mean? Than what kids experienced before cell phones or whatever. Like there still was there still is an endless array of information, but you just don't have this interconnectedness to like a global a global network of information. But say I'm a kid in the 1980s, like I'm still experiencing things and and reacting to them and stuff like that. But it's just not. Do my I, my I don't think my kids phone. are three and a half years apart. We're talking about the 1980s. Yeah, very different experiences in terms of mm. information okay. coming at yeah. them. Very different. In what way? Um, my son is somebody who's on who's on his phone. I mean, that's I I almost feel like when they come in, I want to grab them and put them away so that they don't appear. 
for my daughter. That's not the case. She's three and a half years older, and it's not the case. The phone is not on all the time, sometimes, but not all the time. They're trying to keep it away from the baby. But it's it's they're very conscious of, of all this happening. I think it it does change the way you look at things. I know for me, the amount of change that has happened. My mother was born in 1919, right? That's 100 years ago. The change in that 100 years is extraordinary. Yeah. And for us as human beings, I just wonder how we've managed that amount of change. Because if you think about it, you know, if you lived in a um, rural area in the United States in the 1950s, you had to have an operator make your phone call for you. Mm-hmm. You talk to an actual just human being. In the last being. few years, like these cell phones and it's, proliferated. And it's, but like, even point, I remember that. As right. So what's happened is it sort of happened slowly and then it sped up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, when I go back to this story, I wonder how how can we use it as a guidepost to just take a chill pill every once in a while. <laughs> um, it, I don't get that message at all from these stories. I, well, 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 I, well, from, from, I get God resting, yeah. from God resting on the seventh day, mm-hmm. it's like all of this incredible mm-hmm. activity, all of this creative energy. Yeah, and right? then he rests. And then... But, this, but the second one, on the other hand, is no, a much sec- more... It's no. a much more, like, at the end, they're like, you're going to have to work for everything, and childbirth sucks. Right, like, right, right. You know, right. it's but, not but, a rest. But, and it's not, but interestingly not, when we get to the Ten Commandments, the reference is to the first story. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They kind of picked a, the more positive, like, at least my perception, more positive and Well, the second story is about... That we as human beings have to deal with with obstacles and we have to rely on ourselves. It's it's also kind of a different, like, definition of work. Like, it was... God had to do all of this stuff to create our entire world, but it wasn't, like, something God was obligated to do. Right. There's no reason, like... In that, as far as I know, in that story, there's no like God was getting paid by his God. To build this <laughs> or, God or God was a giant experiment. No, 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 right, exactly. It was like you could say it was like a, a project or like yeah. some, just something on the side that God felt like doing for some reason. And then, but even so, even from that, God's taking a rest and right. just doing nothing right. at all. So that's different from our world, even too. Like, I, I feel like a lot of our work. We're just doing work. We're not doing side projects as much. Yeah. See, I actually learned this week that a lot of the like pure the Puritan aftermath in this country is that um, we feel the constant need to just keep working, and that when we're not working, we feel like there's something wrong. We need to keep working. And I learned this week in history class that that comes from Puritan beliefs and at the beginning of the, the founding of America. But um, and then looking that's a different religion looking in this and how we need to take a break we need a day a moment just some time to take a break and can we do that in this world that we're living in i just i just read a a story it was a short piece about a woman remembering her grandmother in the south and she went to her grandmother on a sunday to ask her to make her something and her grandmother said child today is the lord's day of rest and so they were christian but that Sunday was sacrosanct and grandma was not about to start doing any knitting yeah. for her granddaughter and and the work ceased. So that tradition of ceasing to work or is is there in different parts of this country 
uh, it's why it used to be that on Sunday certain stores were not open. Mm-hmm. And uh, the liquor store doesn't open till noon because <laughs> you're supposed to be in church. But it, they're called blue laws. <laughs> um, and most of those have fallen away. Yeah. But there was a sense that we needed to create a separation. Now, when you're working, not in every field, but in many fields, you're on 24-7. Uh, and in some industries, and uh, you know, you might get a call in the middle of the night if, if your system goes down, and it doesn't matter if they're waking you up at three in the morning because we're we're dealing with the other part of the world, and you have to get that system back up and running again. Yeah. Well, like this, like this just makes me. I think this is a big question, sort for us as humans. Like, how is technology shaping our society, and like, is it in good ways? Because when we start talking about the internet, cell phones, etc., like, you know genetic engineering maybe in the future like 20 years from now how is technology going to have shaped our values how is it going to have shaped our quality of life like our 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 culture our ideology i think that's like that's a very important question to be asking at at, like today you know and i think like what what you're saying about like your grandmother being born in 1919 like we're moving farther and farther away from that from those from i feel like we're moving farther and farther away from the first story you know what i mean and the sort of like, kind of trying to organize and how do we, our and lives. My question, and I'll leave you with this question: Is how do we hold on to that first story? The second story, yeah, yeah, we we're, we're dealing with strife, we're dealing with obstacles, right? But how do we hold on to that? All right, clu- a concluding thought from each of you on that one: How do we hold on? Go ahead, All right. Julian. All right, this is like I've said this before on this podcast, but like I really think it's life is about like enjoying the good times, you know, like the little moments that are positive and good, like. When you when you were talking about rest, that's what made me think of it. Like like I said, I'm always thinking about things. I'm always kind of like doing something, but there's still those little moments where I'm kind of just like at peace and at calm. And I think that's like the times that we get to like rejuvenate and rest. Yeah, this has been making me think a lot about our uh, being in school. We go to school Monday through Friday, and the thing is, you know, you go and you work and you learn and. You come home and you're really tired, but that's not the end of the day because you take out your computer, take out all your notebooks and whatever, and you still have, like, at least for me, like a few hours of homework to do. And then if you're also trying to, like, do a sport or if you're trying to do music, in my case, it's really hard to get all of that done. And just, like, if I have a weekend where for some weird reason or if there's, like, a, a rule or something that you can't get homework, if I go home and I don't have anything to do besides what I want to do, I just feel so relaxed. And I feel like that's something for kids. You were just getting used to having stuff to do all of the time. You could always be getting a little bit of head. So, like, maybe next weekend you could be taking a break. But it usually doesn't work out. Yeah. I think that because of what Bernie said, individually we can hold on to the first, the first story. But I think as a society now, we've strayed too far away from, like, you know, there can't be just the way that we our society works we can't take huge gaps of just relaxed time i think for you as students it's harder Mm -hmm. we went for a walk yesterday and for trine park Mm -hmm. um because it was a beautiful day and our son biked took a bike ride right and 
taking a bike ride uh, to me is a wonderful way to spend Shabbat. Now, it's not necessarily the orthodox way to do it, but I, I think that's a way of just sort of <laughs> having that release, that chill. So I, I think there are ways, and I, I encourage you, even as you're working, all three of you, I know we're working really hard at school, <laughs> to find ways to to just yeah. relax. And even, as you said, Julian, even if it comes in small bits and pieces, it's better than nothing at all. Yeah. With that in mind, on this rainy day, I thank you all so much. No problem. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehila Talks. For more information about Tehila, go to congregationtehila.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.